Uh, how many would agree with this statement? We live in pretty scary times. Who here would nod their head in agreement that we live in a time of great uncertainty? Would many of you admit to being a bit fearful on occasion? We have good reasons to be scared. If we watch the news or surf the internet, or especially if you listen to AM talk radio. The recent memorial to the victims of September 11th reminds us that the war on terror is still not over. According to the World Monetary Fund, the world economy has entered into a, quote, dangerous new phase. Our government seems completely polarized and paralyzed. We hear that climate change is going to ruin the environment. California is still due for the big one. And a comet named Elenin will destroy the planet in the next few months, according to a few people with overly active imaginations. And if all that isn't enough to cause us to fear, there's a 1 in 3,200 chance that you're going to get hit with a piece of space debris from a plummeting six-ton satellite that is scheduled to fall somewhere in the world this weekend. Has it happened yet? Oh, it has. Whew! You know, uh, those Costco umbrellas just aren't what they used to be. <laughs> Add to all these things our own personal problems with family, with relationships, with money, with work. And it's very easy to succumb to fear and completely check out, isn't it? Life can be very, very scary if. If what? Well, life can be very, very scary if we aren't trusting in God, if we don't know who He is. That's why Psalm 91 has been a blessing for so many people, Jews and Christians alike, for thousands of years. One devotional says that you ought to read this psalm every day for a month so that your perspective on life will change. The Jewish prayer book suggests that this psalm be read before retiring to rest each night. As I was preparing for this message, I had actually planned on teaching through the entire psalm, but found that the first two verses were all I could get through. But in these two verses, you will find the comfort and strength you need for whatever you are going through. Because in these two verses are names and descriptions of God that will indeed give us confidence in the character, in His character, as we face any trial. So let's read Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In the world, when we face an emergency or some kind of trouble, we dial 911. I want you to remember in your own times of desperation to think 911. That is, read Psalm 91.1. This will help you face any threat from within and without. So let's read it again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Our security in times of trouble must rest first in understanding God's nature. God's nature can be understood through the names He gives Himself. In our 20th century Western culture, names are usually no more than a way to identify one person from another. But in the Bible, 
God's names are like miniature portraits of who he is and contain promises about his character. In scripture, a person's name not only identified them, but told you something specific about that person. This is also true of God. His names carried special significance and were signs of authority and power. Two of his names are mentioned in this very first verse. He is the Most High, the all-ruling God. His Hebrew name, El Elyon, emphasizes his strength, sovereignty, and supremacy. He is also the Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. Aren't you glad that he's the all-sufficient God, that he doesn't need anything from us or anybody or anything? Little gods with a little G, they need all sorts of stuff. First of all, you need to carve them. They need someone to carve them, right? They need someone to, to worship them. But God, God is all-sufficient. Now, both these names stress God's position and unlimited power, the one who intervenes when man's strength is gone. This is why scripture holds the name of God in such high esteem. His name reflects who he is and what he can do. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Psalm 124.8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You could rephrase that. Some trust in their houses or their jobs or their IRA. But we will trust in the name of our Lord. Think about how Satan has changed the perspective of the name of God. Think about how God's name is not revered anymore but is blasphemed. You go to any movie, and you'll hear blasphemies throughout. They don't say, oh my Gandhi. They don't say, oh my Buddha. They don't say, oh my Muhammad. No, they use our God's name in vain. If enough Americans, if enough people in the world can use his name as a curse word, all of a sudden, they have no more reverence for the name of the Lord. They have no reverence for our God. If you text OMG, you're misusing God's name. God is also described as our shelter, offering an intimate place of divine protection when the storms of life hit us. Psalm 32, 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts, shouts of deliverance. Psalm 61, 4, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. The shadow of the Almighty is also a metaphor for his care and protection. If you want God to be the security of your life, your divine protection, your ever-present help in time of need, there is a precondition. There's a precondition. You must dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. Now, what does it mean to dwell in something? Well, here are some definitions for dwell. To live or stay as a permanent resident. To live or continue in a given condition or state. To linger over, emphasize, or ponder in thought, speech, or writing. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, The blessings here 
in these verses. The blessings here promised are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks towards the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat, yet all who do, yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. Oh, they run to it at times and enjoy occasional approaches, but they do not habitually reside in the mysterious presence. Some Christians take a very casual approach to God, living as they please, doing what they want, not affected very much by His word or His will or His promises. They go through the motions. They attend church every now and then when they feel like it, when it's convenient. They flip open the Bible to a proverb. Maybe they read the daily bread. Yet they claim to be born again, even though there is no visible fruit in their lives. I go to El Camino College every Thursday at 12.30 on the library lawn, and I talk to the students about the things of God. I'm there offering the other side of the equation. And Nearly all those students, except for the blatant atheists, and there are a lot of those too, nearly every student says that they are born-again Christians. So I put them to the test. I ask a simple question. How often do you read your Bible? Invariably, they say, oh, once or twice a week, or not very often. So then I show them my hand. I say, I'm married. If I told you I spoke to my wife once or twice a week, what kind of a relationship would you say that I had? One student said, lousy. I don't need to say anymore. I encourage them to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. I go, I can't judge your heart, but what does that say about your relationship with God if you're not hearing from Him, if you're not communing with Him? When trouble strikes, the casual Christian is adrift. The casual Christian, you know, that's the cafeteria Christian. You've heard of that phrase, I'm sure. The one who picks and chooses what he likes about his faith. It's kind of like a spiritual hometown buffet. Or you might call them the carnal Christian. I don't believe there's such a thing as a carnal Christian or a cafeteria Christian. No, there's got to be the committed Christian or nothing else. But when trouble strikes, the casual Christian is adrift. They don't know what to do because they don't really know God. They may even end up blaming him, sometimes to the point of cursing him when trouble arises. I knew a man who was struck with a painful illness. And this illness didn't go away for several weeks. And he confessed to me that he ended up cursing God using the most vile language reserved for the most hardened gangbanger. And I have to admit, I've known this man for years, but I was shocked when I heard that. But this man who professed Christ didn't dwell with him in an intimate way. If you don't know the Lord, it's going to be easy to blame God and curse God. Last year, Buffalo Bills wide receiver Steve Johnson dropped an easy game-winning touchdown pass against the Steelers. Then he tweeted this, I praise you 24-7. And this is how you do me? You expect me to learn from this? How? I'll never forget this, ever. Thanks, though. He's blaming God because he missed the touchdown pass. You know, it reminds me a lot of Job's wife when Job was afflicted with a great trial and illness and hardships and problems. His wife gave him some sound counsel. Why don't you just curse God and die? 
I want to suggest to you, she did not dwell in the shelter of the Almighty. A scribe asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was in Mark 12. And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. Jesus wasn't kidding. This is not just something that applied then and not now. He still demands total allegiance to himself. You cannot be casual in your walk with God if you want intimacy with him. You must dwell in him, not just rent a room. For many, though, the demands of living for God are just too much. In Luke 9, there's an account. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was saying, count the cost. Count the cost. It's going to be hard. When people make a profession for Christ or are ready to on those college campuses, before they're ready to pray the prayer or make that commitment, I say, let me warn you, if you become a Christian, life's going to be hard. People are going to betray you. You're going to suffer. Your own family may turn against you. You may even die for being a Christian. I've had one man actually change his mind after hearing that. Well, that's good. Because Jesus said, count the cost. Before you go to war, don't you see how large the army is? Before you build a building, don't you count the cost and how much it will be? To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The most miserable place you can be is on the fence, straddling the world and straddling Jesus. You can't do both. You're going to love one or hate the other. You can't do both. In fact, if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. Not in you. Don't claim that you can live like this and go to church on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday and believe you're walking with God. No, you're not. You're not. Christianity is an all or nothing proposition. But it's very easy to get distracted, isn't it? There are so many things that compete for our attention, things that we can see and and feel. A famous evangelist was coming to preach in the South Bay, and Billy Graham told him, you don't want to schedule an event in the South Bay. The evangelist did not listen and scheduled the event, and no, and virtually no one showed up because we're distracted. But we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But it takes time to be with God. Do you know that? It takes time be with God. It takes determination. Our growth groups provide the perfect venue to get to know God better. If people knew what they were missing, they'd be full up by now. We'd be saying, sorry, no more room. Wait till February. I remember my greatest growth with God came from going to a small group called Free to Choose. This is 20 years ago, 21 years ago. It was a Christian 12-step program that we offered here at Hope Chapel. I was a methamphetamine addict. 
and I had given up my habit and I didn't know where to go. I had no more friends. I was on the verge of losing everything I had and I didn't have much. But when you use meth, you use people to the point where you have no one else to rely on. So I found myself at Hope Chapel and I entered into Free to Choose. I gave myself to Jesus Christ there after I heard the gospel preached by Rick Fasulo. And guess what? I overcame my drug addiction. I never went back. Through the course of time at Free to Choose, I also realized I had a relationship addiction. I got rid of that as well. I cannot tell you how thankful I am that I had the opportunity to grow in Christ by being in this small group. After six months, I was done. After six months, I said, that's it. I don't need to go anymore to free to choose. I am not identifying myself anymore as a drug addict or a relationship addict. No, I am a born-again Christian. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm a new creation. You don't need to live in that place. I am this. And you talk about your sin. No, Jesus Christ has set you free. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Six months. I remember I graduated. Then... I remember uh, going to mini church. First thing after that was mini church. And I grew there. They loved me there. They loved me here at Hope Chapel. I was a wild and crazy dude. Okay, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> they loved me there. I felt safe with my family at mini church to the point that I was able to confess I had a pornography addiction. They opened their home up for me to bring all my pornography and burn it in their fireplace. You've heard me tell that before. But it's, it's so foundational because I didn't know there was an issue. But when you read the Word of God and you dwell with Him, God brings these things to mind. And it was rather embarrassing because I had two big satchels of pornography and the fire went out in the fireplace. And then they held a powwow and wondered how they were going to get rid of it and they decided they would drown it in a big barrel of water. I didn't have enough shame to be embarrassed, but... You know what? When you're a new Christian, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Get rid of it. I then joined the Singles Fellowship with the noblest of intentions to find a wife. Hey, Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds what is good and obtains favor from the Lord. I only wanted to obtain favor. So I joined singles ministry and I became a leader in singles ministry and God answered my prayer. Five and a half years later... I met the most awesome, beautiful, and godly woman any man could ever meet. Sorry, Karen, my beautiful wife, and I am so thankful. Now, if you're single, I'm not suggesting you should go to singles ministry to find... Yes, I am. <laughs> go there to find a wife, and you're going to learn the Word of God, and then your standards will start to rise in what you desire in a mate, man. Instead of just, she has to breathe, you'll now start finding other qualities in the Bible. And you too can marry that Proverbs 31 woman that I married. You want to know how to walk with God better? Get involved. Get in a growth group. Where are you with God anyway? Are you dwelling in the shelter of the Most High? Are you sold out for Him? Are you truly living for Him? If you are, then you will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Are your thoughts constantly about God and what he's done for you? Are you aware of his love and protection, especially when the difficulties and trials come? 
I'm always amazed at how Jesus responded when he and the disciples were caught in the middle of the Sea of Galilee during a storm in Matthew 8. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. Mark says Jesus was asleep in the stern on a cushion. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord. We are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you, oh, you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Although in his divinity, Jesus was omniscient in his humanness, he was at the time completely oblivious to the violent weather around him. Why? He was totally at peace. Why? He abided in his Father. Have you forgotten who Jesus is? God. Jesus is God, and he too can quiet the storms in your life. He can calm the struggles of your heart. He can deal with the problems you currently face. But, and this is a big but, you must abide in him to know him better, to trust him more fully. Now, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? That's one of those churchy-sounding words that people rarely use anymore, right? Brother, you got to abide in Jesus. Are you, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? What? Get away. What? Come on, we don't talk like that anymore. But abide best expresses total communion with God. To abide means to remain, to continue, to stay. John 15, 1 through 11 expresses the thought of abiding more clearly than I could ever explain. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How many of you want your joy to be full? (laughs) Of course! Are you tired of whining and complaining and grousing and worrying and struggling? Are you tired of... Well, there you go. It's up to you. 
Right? It's up to you. And then when you do abide in Christ, you can thank God that he gave you the faith to abide in Christ. Go figure that one out. Then you can ask whatever you wish according to the Father's will. It'll be granted to you. So that means your prayers will change from the new car and the new home and the lotto check to God's will. What kind of things would God have you pray? I don't know. Like, Lord, help me to love my spouse more fully like you love her. Lord, give me a heart for the lost. These are all things God's going to answer like that. Boom. God never answers my prayer. Well, yes, he does. He just says no. (laughs) Abiding means obedience. Abiding means obedience. Are you obedient to what he commands you to do? What does he command me to do? Read your Bible. You'll know. It's not that hard to understand. Mark Twain was reading his Bible and he said, what are you reading it for? He says, looking for loopholes. (laughs) If so, if you're obedient or want to be obedient, if so, you are dwelling in the shelter of the Most High and abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. Not perfect obedience. Yes, that's the standard. Be perfect even as my Father in Heaven is perfect. It's got to have a standard, right? He didn't say be okay. He said be perfect. So we keep... We keep striving, but we got to keep trusting in him for that. It's a process. It takes time to learn who God is and how trustworthy he can be. My, my family, we get up first thing. I get up first thing. My wife gets up first thing, and we read our Bible. Well, you know, after we make our coffee and stuff. And I had my time with the Lord in our bedroom, but I was too distracted. And so I went out of the living room, and it was too distracting. We have a couple of dogs, and, you know... I have a wife. And I go, honey, do you mind if I go in the garage? We have a nice couch. I like it out there. And that's my place. That's my hiding place, the garage. I love it. It's nice. It's a nice garage. It's not a, you know, musty thing. And my children, when they get up, when they get up, first thing they do is read the Word of God. Do they understand everything they're reading? No. But we're developing in them a habit. That habit. So when they leave, they'll read the Word first thing. It also helps to be around other believers who are also in process. This is why we promote growth groups so heavily. We want you to grow in abiding with Jesus Christ. Being in close proximity with other believers on a regular basis will show you how to trust God. After becoming a Christian, I had to trust God to get out of my $30,000 in debt. My $30,000 in debt caused me such depression before I was a Christian, I even tried to take my life. I didn't know how to get rid of it. I wanted to file for bankruptcy three times, but was prevented from doing so. I couldn't even face all the bills I had when I came to, as it came to the Lord. So I hired someone for $50 to go through all my bills. And she went, oh my. So I tried to file for bankruptcy three times, but I couldn't do it. Why? Well, as a new believer, we were going through the Bible at the time, the Daily Bible. Who remembers the Daily Bible? That was like 20 years ago. Remember that? So I had it in my heart to file for bankruptcy, and I'm ready to do it, and I hear a message on David and Goliath from Zach. David faced the giant and won. The application, what giant are you facing in your life? And I'm like, oh, so I postponed 
filing for bankruptcy. And then you know how that is. You hear from God and then you conveniently let enough time pass so you forget about it. So I was going to file for bankruptcy again. And now I'm hearing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing the fiery furnace. They're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. What fiery furnace are you facing in your life? Like, oh, gosh. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked around in the fire. And there was someone in there that looked like an angel. And they were rescued. So, same thing. I postponed the decision and conveniently forgot about it. And I actually was in the attorney's office in the waiting room ready to file for bankruptcy. And I can't explain why, but I started getting very nervous and sweaty. And I had to run out of that room. And so I was in another fellowship and the pastor was saying that he was, at one time in his life, he purposely disobeyed God. He made a decision. He was going to disobey God. And his friend said, what do you think is going to happen to you? He said, I think God's going to break my ankle. So a couple of weeks after that, he was kicking a soccer ball around in a parking lot. He tripped on a curb and he broke his ankle. And I went, Lord, I'm not filing for bankruptcy. Someone suggested I go to a financial healing seminar that was being offered at a Signs and Wonders church. So I took my bag of bills and I went to the Signs and Wonders church and they called everyone in debt to come forward. They were going to lay hands and a supernatural miracle was going to happen and your debt would be erased. And I went running up there, praise God. So great to be a Christian. They laid hand on my bag of bills. They prayed and I was waiting for that Ed McMahon come with that check God answered that prayer from that church from them laying hands on my bag of bills I ended up back at Hope Chapel and signed up for financial counseling they put me on a five year program first thing they told me that I ought to do was tithe wait a minute, I'm working part-time, 24 hours a week. I don't have enough to tithe. You know, you can't afford not to tithe. I did what they said. I remember I was writing a check for $40 a week. So you can figure out how much that is, 10%, $400 is what I was making. And I had a $30,000 debt. I started tithing obediently. Guess what happened? I got out of debt. Not in five years, in two and a half years. Why? God honors us when we honor him. Now, why do you think I told you that story? You figure it out. (laughs) I was starting to learn what it is to abide in Christ, to obey him and trust in him despite the difficulties of the problems I faced. Being around other believers encouraged me to press on even though the trials were hard. To the point where I wanted to commit suicide before I was a Christian. Now, Hudson Taylor, pioneer missionary to inland China, also faced hard trials. He was so frustrated at the daunting task of supervising many missions in that country that he sank into a severe depression and came close to suicide as well. No matter how much he prayed and fasted, made resolutions or read his Bible, he could not make any headway. He prayed for faith, for holiness, for peace. He felt even worse. A fellow missionary struggled with these very same issues and shared them with Taylor. Later on, 
He wrote a letter about how he overcame these negative feelings and attitudes and shared his secret with Hudson Taylor. This is what he wrote. To let my loving Savior work in me his will, abiding, not striving or struggling, looking off unto him, trusting in him for present power, resting in the love of an almighty Savior in the joy of complete salvation. Taylor then read the final paragraph. Not striving to have faith or to increase my faith, but a looking at the faithful one seems all we need. A resting in the loved one entirely for time, for eternity. It does not appear to me as anything new, only formally misunderstood. Hudson Taylor's long spiritual struggle ended in a moment. He later wrote, as I read, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus and when I saw, oh, how joy flowed. Hudson Taylor found his spiritual secret. It was the exchanged life. No longer I, but Christ living in me. Are you living the exchanged life? That's radical. You're saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I want to live your life. The Apostle Paul was able to say from prison that he had learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Who's the him? Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's in the context of contentment in trial. It isn't like I can win the football game because I can do all things through Jesus. No. If you're struggling and you're in debt and you're disappointed, you trust in him. Corrie Ten Boom wrote, if you don't know her, she wrote The Hiding Place and she was interned in a Nazi prison camp. She wrote, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God... You'll be at rest. Our security in times of trouble must rest first in understanding God's nature. Secondly, our security is grounded in personal faith. Psalm 91.2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those who truly know their God will trust in him. It doesn't mean that we won't falter at times, but we will ultimately be able to say, Lord, I trust you. Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? My family and I were singing yesterday at the kitchen table. You are my hiding place. You always fill my heart with songs of Whenever I am afraid... I will trust in you. Let the weak say I am strong in the strength of the Lord. I will. That's what we do in times of trouble. Sing a hymn of praise and remembrance to the Lord our God. 
Charles Spurgeon said, There is nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, nothing in hell that should cause you fear if you trust in Jesus. The past you need not fear, for it is forgiven you. The present you need not fear, it is provided for. The future you need not fear, it is secured by the living power of Christ. I want to ask you, are you willing to take the next step? To fully follow Jesus from this time on? Are you tired of being fretful and scared and nervous, unsure of what will happen next? We all are tired of that. Are you willing to live the exchanged life starting now? Your life for Jesus. Are you ready to abide in Him? You can sign up for a growth group. And if you're ready to abide in Him, then you are nearing the end of your fear. Close your eyes and I want to close with Psalm 61. Make this your prayer as I read this, please. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. A strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Silah, think about this. Some of you don't know the Lord in here this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to know him. I want to call the elders to come forward, please. How do you know Jesus? Starts by humbling yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Why do you need to humble yourself? Well, you need to understand how you have sinned against him. You know how you have sinned against him if you've broken any of God's Ten Commandments. If you've lied or stolen or misused his name, God sees you as a lying thief and a blasphemer. He looks at your heart. If you've ever looked with lust one time, that's adultery, Jesus says. If you've ever hated someone or gotten angry, the Bible calls that murder. All of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you sin one time, if you break one commandment, that's sin. Sin one time, on judgment day you'll be found guilty and end up in hell. You, right now, are an enemy of God through wicked works in your mind. The Bible says you're a child of wrath. Jesus says you're condemned already. You're like that prisoner on death row just waiting for that sentence to be carried out. Jesus also says that God's wrath abides on you. That's really bad news. And, and I want to be a bummer because the Bible wants you to know your condition. But the good news is this. If you turn away from your sin today, that's called repentance. Have a change of mind and a change of attitude about your sin. And you put your trust only in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin. Jesus suffered and died on that cross. He was buried for three days and he rose again. If you believe that and turn away from your sin, God forgives you. No other faith gives you forgiveness like in Jesus. Do not trust in being a Protestant. Well, I'm a Baptist. Don't trust in that. Don't trust in that. Don't trust in being a Catholic. You trust in Jesus Christ. 
It's by faith alone, by grace alone, through God alone. It's the only way you can be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Today, I implore you to fall upon the mercies of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much. He proved it by sending his son to die. Please don't neglect so great a salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You come forward and talk to any one of these elders and they'll lead you in the right way. Today, there's no guarantee you'll make it home. Please, please, please consider my words.